Well, one of the things that I enjoy about pastoral ministry is that I get to meet some interesting people. For example, some of you know that uh, several years ago I served as a campus minister uh, down in North Carolina. And I had a good friend and colleague at another college campus, and he and I kept in touch regularly to encourage each other and uh, to also offer counsel and care when it came to figuring out how to, to, to best love particular students that the Lord brought our way. And I remember one day he was talking to me about a new student on his campus, young man that showed up. He said, he's great. He knows the scripture. He's engaging with everybody. So he's very friendly. He shows up uh, to large group and small group. But he said, but the peculiar thing about this young man is that he always introduces himself to everyone and says, my name is, and it's followed by, and they call me the liberator. So needless to say, interesting uh, character, and uh, he made some interesting pronouncements during his time in college. Now, a little bit closer to home for me uh, was a few years after that when I was serving as a a pastor in Vancouver, Canada. So we had three PCA churches uh, in Vancouver and a couple of hours outside of the city, out in a small farming community. Uh, We had one PCA church out there, small community, small church. It was called Mountain View because you could see the mountains from it. And there was a solo pastor there, whereas... Within, uh, within the city of Vancouver itself, I think we had uh, six uh, pastors at the time, PCA pastors. Uh, four of us were, were full, in full-time pastoral ministry. One was a seminary professor and the other a retired teaching elder. And so whenever this solo pastor in this small farming community needed to be out of town for a weekend, uh, maybe it was for a conference or for vacation, uh, he, would, he would email and see if one of us could go and, and fill the pulpit for him. And so usually one of us was available. Was available. And I, I loved going out there. It was beautiful, uh, dry, beautiful country. And like I said, it was a small church. So very quickly I got to know the people in the congregation. Felt like I knew them uh, relatively well for a visitor who had come uh, several times. But this one particular Sunday, I was, was preaching, and at the end of the sermon, and, and the custom there is that the, uh, the preacher would remain up front. They had a large area behind the, the pulpit, and folks would come and interact, ask questions about the sermon. And so this guy, right after the benediction, he makes a beeline for me. And I mean, I can see him coming from the back of the church. This huge, burly guy, long hair, long, straggly beard, uh, flannel shirt, big boots, And he walks up and he says, I don't believe we've met, but you've probably heard of me. I just came down from the mountain again last night. They call me the prophet. Now, I will tell you, that was the most interesting conversation that I have ever had after a sermon. Now, I'm preaching today, so you can try to top it after the service if you'd like. Uh, But but again, another interesting uh, character. But you know, of all the interesting people that I have met, I have never met anyone who has claimed to be God. I have never met anyone who has claimed to be the pre-existent, eternal Son of God. And my response, if I did, I would think, ridiculous, this guy is out of his mind. And yet that's 
with the Jewish leaders John chapter 8 encounter with Jesus' most explicit and radical claim to deity. And so when I step outside of, of their picture and I, I think about it, you know, I can sympathize with these Jewish leaders. Because, I mean, here today we've all heard the claims of Christ. You've come to church, whether here or elsewhere, for any length of time, whether you believe those claims or not, you have heard them. You're familiar with them. I'm familiar with them. But these people in the temple, this was new for them. It, it catches them off guard. It's, it's radical. It's offensive. It's serious. It's ridiculous. This guy is out of his mind. Well, today we are in chapter 8 of John's Gospel. Actually, we uh, wrap up. We're at the very end of the chapter, specifically verses 48 to 59. Uh, if you're using the Bible under the chair in front of you, you're going to find that on page 895. Let me pray, and then we will hear this part of God's Word. Almighty God, we do thank you for your Word. We ask that you would help us to hear and to understand and to believe your word, what you say, what you say to us about yourself and how that impacts the way that we live and in particular how that impacts the way that we relate to you. And so we would ask now by the power of your spirit that you would open your word to us and us to your word. Amen. And so, John chapter 8, uh, beginning with verse 48. Hear the word of God. The Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father. And you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham, who died, and the prophets died? Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say, He is our God. But you have not known Him. I know Him. If I were to say that I do not know Him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. 
So they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. This is God's word. Well, here we are at the end of chapter 8, chapter that we've been in together for the past uh, several weeks. That means that we are at the end of a long conversation that Jesus has been having with some Jewish religious leaders in the temple. And you know, one of the things that I I appreciate about John's gospel uh, is his his literary style. I mean, he's just a great storyteller, and, and in particular, I appreciate his use of various literary devices. We've talked about some of these over the past several month, months, the, the, the ways that he helps us better enter into the story and really see who Jesus is. And one of John's distinctive features is his use of the double amen. He, he's the only gospel writer who uses it. And if you're familiar with older translations of the Bible, uh, you know that it has been translated verily, verily. Uh, In newer translations, like the ESV, which we're using, it's rendered truly, truly. The double amen. Truly, truly, I say to you. And John uses this literary device to signal something important. Something that he wants to highlight, to to underline, to emphasize, in, in a way, kind of putting bold face type to it. And he uses the double amen only with sayings of Jesus. These sayings of Jesus are not only true, but they also command our attention and demand that we listen. Well, John uses the double amen two dozen times in his gospel. In fact, up to this point, he's already used it, I believe, a dozen of those times. And then here, just in our short passage, he uses it twice. Uh, Verses 51 and 58. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. And truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Well, these verses serve as a framework for what John is saying here. And and so we're going to use them as a framework for how we look at the passage. So let's look at the first part of the passage. Again, verse 51. And this is Jesus speaking. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Jews said to him, Well, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, If anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. And you might not have realized it, or maybe you did, but what Jesus says here, it's actually an echo of something that he's already said earlier in the dialogue. We looked at it a couple of weeks ago. Back in verse 24, Jesus says to these folks, he, he says, I told you, that you would die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. And so, of course, the converse is true. If you believe in Jesus, then you won't 
die in your sins. Now, imagine if you met someone today who made this claim. Okay, maybe you're at the, the library downtown or you're at Barnes & Noble uh, over in, in Newtown and it, it's a book signing. So there's a special author and he's going to speak a little bit. And he comes out and he says, you know, if you believe everything that, that I'm saying about myself, if you believe that I'm the Son of God, if you abide in me, if you keep my word, then you will never die. I mean, you might think he's interesting. But you would definitely be thinking, this is ridiculous. This guy is out of his mind. Now, when Jesus himself makes this statement, he, he of course, doesn't mean physical death. Now, the, the, the people listening, it's pretty clear in the text, they don't get that. Uh, but, but we do because we see the bigger picture. Jesus is saying that though his followers die in this broken world, yet they will live forever with him. Because whenever we talk about death in the Bible, we, we need to remember that though it includes physical death, uh, it refers to more than a human heart that stops beating or the, the decay of, of our physical bodies. Death in the Bible is ultimately separation from God eternally. That's why Adam and Eve, that's why they died immediately upon being expelled from the Garden of Eden, even though their physical death took place at a later time. Likewise, those who have been reconciled to God through belief in Jesus will never die. His death on the cross in our place assures that. Well, it's not the first time Jesus had said something like this. Actually, if you go back to a little bit earlier in the Gospel, chapter 5, uh, Jesus says, and, and here we have a close succession, one after the other, uh, two more of those double amen statements. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. Now again, as one commentator puts it, Jesus is not suggesting that his disciples will never experience physical dissolution. Rather, they will never have to confront death in all its terror as the occasion of final separation from God. And so friends, if, if you trust in Jesus, believe in Him, that He is who He says He is, that He did what He said He'd do, if you abide, if you, if you dwell in His Word, if you cling to Jesus, then truly, truly, I say to you, you will never die. That is good news. 
I mean, that is great news for us. But think about those words that Jesus first spoke because these words frustrate, even infuriate these Jewish leaders that he's speaking to. And they respond, verse 53, no way. No way. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets died? Who do you make yourself out to be? Who do you think you are? And Jesus infuriates them even further with his answer in the next section. So now let's look at the second part of the passage. Uh, picking back up with verse 56. Jesus says, Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him. Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. I mean, that is just, it's an intriguing statement in and of itself. But, you know, first read sounds a bit off, maybe even confusing. A Scottish theologian, Ian Campbell, points out that this I am phrase, it's peculiar because of its complexity, because it is multi-layered. Because, you see, John could have used just one Greek word, but instead he uses two. John takes the emphatic personal pronoun I and combines it with the present tense verb I am. And so literally he writes I, I am. And in Greek, as you may have heard before, it's ego in me. It shows up throughout the Gospel of John, in particular before each of the seven I am statements. But here, standing alone, I am. And, and this usage is striking. And it is supposed to grab the reader's attention. Just as it grabbed the attention of those first hearers. Well, in particular, his use of it here in chapter 8 is quite distinctive. And so, so as, as you know, Jesus is speaking with these Jewish religious leaders in the temple. Uh, and they claim to be descendants of Father Abraham, the great uh, patriarch. Father Abraham, we are descendants of him. But then... Jesus accuses them of being totally unlike the father that they're professing. Saying that if they were true children of Abraham, then like him, like Abraham, they would believe on him. And then Jesus makes this remarkable statement in verse 58. Before Abraham was, I am. Now, I mean, just even thinking about that grammatically. I mean, if you write a sentence like that in school, I'm sorry, you're going to get points taken off. So it grabs our attention just even grammatically there. But also, when you think about it historically, I mean, it doesn't seem to make sense. But Jesus is not simply saying that he was born before Abraham. It's much more radical than that. Rather, Jesus is saying that his very existence both predates 
and postdates Abraham. He is saying that before Abraham existed, that he, Jesus, already existed. And that long after Abraham is gone, he continues to exist. What Jesus is doing is he is claiming pre-existence for himself. Claiming that he existed long before he was ever physically present on earth. Ridiculous. I mean, nobody can say that except Jesus, the pre-existent, eternal Son of God. Jesus existed before he was physically present in the world and even before Abraham was in the world. And then if we take this a step further and, and we consider it in the larger context of John's Gospel, we can see that Jesus is even saying that he existed before the world itself was even created. I mean, you know how John begins his gospel? Chapter 1, with an, with an affirmation of the eternality of Jesus. John writes, in the beginning, hearkening back to Genesis 1, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. All things were made through Him. And then here in chapter 8, John reaffirms that identity. And that's not all. I mean, there's, there is even more going on here. As you, as you may know, by describing himself as the pre-existent eternal I am, Jesus is deliberately claiming the name by which God first revealed himself to Moses in the Old Testament. When Moses encountered the burning bush, Exodus 3, God called Moses to go to Egypt to confront Pharaoh, to demand that Pharaoh release God's people from slavery. Now this catches Moses off guard. He's overwhelmed and he asks God, he says, well, well what am I supposed to say? The, the people are going to ask me, who, who sent me? What, what am I supposed to say? What is your name? And then in that grand moment of self-disclosure, self-revelation, the God of the universe says to Moses, I am who I am. Say to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. So in Exodus chapter 3, the eternal, unchangeable, glorious, almighty God of heaven and earth declares that his name is I Am. And then here in John chapter 8, Jesus declares that his name is I Am. Jesus is claiming to be God, Yahweh. The great I am. He is claiming to be the eternal, unchangeable, glorious, almighty God. And think about where he is at this very moment. He is claiming to be the very one who is to be worshipped in the temple in which he now stands having a conversation with the religious leaders. Now, if anyone is thinking... 
Okay, I'm not sure Jesus really meant all that. I mean, maybe, maybe we're taking it a little too far. Maybe we're reading a little too much into the text. Well, if that's the case, we need only consider the response of those that Jesus was talking to. Verse 59, they picked up stones to throw at him. They knew exactly what Jesus was saying. They knew that Jesus was claiming to be God Almighty, and they wanted to stone him for blasphemy. But what about you? What about me? How do we respond to Jesus, to the great I Am? Well, I'm reminded of a well-known Bible teacher. Years ago, she put it something like this. If the distance between the earth and the sun, 93 million miles, if the distance between the earth and the sun was just the thickness of a single sheet of paper, I want you to know that the diameter of our galaxy would be a stack of papers 310 miles high. And our galaxy? Well, it's just like a piece of lint in the whole of the universe. A universe that's filled with even more galaxies than there are grains of sand on the seashore. And Jesus Christ says, I created that. It's mine. And I hold it together in the palm of my hand with the word of my power. And then she said this. Is this the kind of person you simply ask into your life to be your personal assistant? Is this the kind of person you say, I tell you what, I will let you know if I need anything. I mean, don't call me, I'll call you. Is this the kind of person... That you say, well, well, well you know what, I, I, let's make a deal. If you do this and that, then I will do this and that. Is this the kind of person you get to know merely for your own convenience? No. This is Jesus Christ. This is the God of the universe. This is the great I Am. He's the person who created everything. Seen and unseen. He's the person who spoke you into existence and holds your life together. He's the person you fall down before in worship with your very life because he is life. Life to the full. Friends, this is the one. This is the one that Abraham rejoiced in seeing the eternal, unchangeable, glorious, almighty one, the one Abraham saw with the eyes of faith. And it was counted to him as righteousness. This is the one Abraham believed, trusted, followed. Have you trusted him? Are you trusting him today? Friends, this is the one who created you, who sustains you, who gave his life for you. 
This is the only one you should fully entrust your life to. The one you abide and dwell in. The one that you trust and obey. The one you follow day by day. This is the one who, in the words of one scholar, towers over history, is master of time and ruler of the ages, undiminished by the passing of centuries, the same yesterday, today, and forever, who is still able to save to the uttermost all who come to God through him. This is the one who holds you together and will never let you go. This is Jesus, the great I am. Keep looking to him by faith and rejoice in seeing his day. Let's pray. O oh Lord Jesus, Almighty God, Creator of all things seen and unseen, You who are the great I Am, we praise You this day. You who are before, above, and beyond all time, You who hold all time in Your hands. By the power of Your Spirit, would You open the eyes of our hearts to see more clearly and believe more fully that we might continually look to you in faith and rejoice in seeing your day, today and forever. Amen.